Good morning. Promise you, I'm the last person that's gonna walk out of that curtain back there. It's like this is it. We're here. We are here now. This is may or may not be what you came for, but this is where we're at. Okay. Good morning, again. Um, I hate to do this. No, no, you know what? Look, you know what? Here's what's gonna happen. I'm going to read this Bible verse to you guys, and you're going to remain seated, and you're going to listen attentively. Amen? Okay, so open your ears. Here we go. I'm reading Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day that you've given us. We thank you for waking us up this morning, keeping us in our right minds, God, and we pray that your spirit would speak to us, that Jesus would be glorified, and that you would use us to advance your kingdom here in the earth, God. Speak to us today. Our hearts are open to an encounter with you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen. All right, we are continuing on in our Kingdom Seekers series. And I'm going to tell you guys, Jesus has a lot to say about the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. We have been in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew, and this is the introduction to the kingdom of God in the word. Um, in fact, the, the kingdom is so important to Jesus that it is mentioned 126 times in the Gospels and only 34 times in the remainder of of the New Testament. There was something that Jesus was trying to get us to focus on and see at the outset of his public ministry. Jesus presents concepts in the Sermon on the Mount that reveal the kingdom is both present and still future tense. It is already and not yet. The kingdom of God is already and not yet. I'm going to skip ahead just a little bit. Spoiler alert, this may or may not be next week's sermon. Uh, but the passage that follows this one is considered to be what commonly is known as the Lord's Prayer. Now, I believe this is actually the disciples' prayer because it wasn't Jesus' prayer. His prayer can be found in the garden, but I digress. Anyways, you know it as the Lord's Prayer. Matthew 6.10 this is what it says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus is saying, pray to ask that the kingdom would come. And then later on in Luke chapter 17, this is what Jesus says, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. So how can the kingdom of God be present and not present at the same time? John Piper states in an article that says, the answer is the kingdom of God is God's reign. 
his sovereign action in the world to redeem and deliver a people and then at a future time finish it and renew his people to the universe completely. God has started a work when he sent his son to die on our behalf and the reason we know it's incomplete is because we ain't home yet and he ain't come back. So it ain't done. I heard somebody say, I think it was my buddy Ben, he said, um, you know everything's going to work out in the end. So if it hasn't worked out yet, it's not the end. So keep going, okay? Keep going. There is a duality of purpose here, a duality of purpose. There, uh, there's, there seems to be this duality a lot, often, with Jesus and the kingdom, and we can see it in many areas. Our flesh and our spirit. Now, most of us have very negative self-talk when it comes to our flesh, Am I right? Right? And our flesh is often the enemy, and our spirit is the only thing we need to nurture. But the Bible has a lot to say about taking care of the temple that houses the Holy Spirit. Because if you don't take care of this temple, you ain't going to have a long time to house the Holy Spirit. Then the flip side of that is, you're already home. You ain't got to worry about nothing right there. That's not permission to destroy your bodies, okay? I'm just going to hurry up and be with Jesus. And then we have motives and actions, right? If someone goes on trial, God forbid any of you ever go on trial for anything. Some of us have already walked that path, right? Listen, I'm going to look. This is free. Life is too short. A lot of times uh, we will say, you know, I need to learn for myself. Life is too short to have to make all the mistakes yourself. You can learn from other people. Positively and negatively, you don't have to walk every path to know that's not a path I want to walk. Okay? So sometimes you might not have to be on trial. Some of us have been on trial. Okay? (laughs) When I say us, I mean some of us. Okay? (laughs) And they will determine not only the action you did, but the reason why you did it. Because if they can't prove the reason why you did it, then the action may not have the same consequences. Because motive and action, there is a duality there of purpose. Look at 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. It says, Beloved, we are God's children now. I'm God's child now. But what we will be has not yet appeared. I'm God's child now, but what I'm going to become, I'm not yet. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Jesus reveals the kingdom to us in a way that challenges and encourages at the same time. Challenges and encourages at the same time. Several weeks ago, um, I gave you guys a a outline or a layout of the Sermon on the Mount and its contents, okay? Um, If you missed that layout, the best thing to do would be on to go onto the Church Center app, download that. There's previous sermons. Or we just do it here. The first portion of the Sermon on the Mount are going to be the characteristics of the kingdom. That's chapter 5, verse 1 through 5, verse 12. These are the Beatitudes, These are the characteristics of the kingdom of God. The second section we can look at is the functionality of the kingdom. This is chapter 5, 13 through 5, 16. This is how Jesus teaches us to be salt and light up in this mug, okay? 
Then we have in 517 through 548, these are the standards of the kingdom of God. These are, this is lust, divorce, a divorce, oaths, loving your enemies, okay? These are the standards of the kingdom. And here we are now today in chapter 6, verse 1 through 727, which is the remainder of the Sermon on the Mount. We're looking at the attitudes of the kingdom. So there are four main sections to Jesus' sermon, the characteristics, the functionality, the standards, and the attitudes of the kingdom. Now, Scripture does not tell us who all was in attendance at this sermon, okay? It does tell us that his disciples were there and that the crowds were there, whatever that means, okay? But I imagine and I may presume that there may have been some Pharisees in attendance. And if there were not any Pharisees, then everybody in the area knew who the Pharisees were and they were aware of their teachings and their practices. Charles John Ellicott, an 18th century scholar and theologian, describes it this way. He says, from the protest against the casuistry, which tampered with and distorted the great primary commandments, the Sermon on the Mount passes to the defects of character and action which vitiated the religion of Phariseeism even where it was at its best. Its excellence had been that it laid stress, as the religion of Islam did afterwards, on the three great duties of religious life almsgiving, fasting, and prayer rather than on the sacrifices and offerings. Verbally, Phariseeism accepted on this point the widest and most spiritual teaching of the prophets, and so its home was in the synagogue rather than in the temple. And it gained a hold on the minds of the people which the priests never gained. But a subtle evil found its way even here. Love of praise and power rather than spontaneous love and self-denial and adoration was the mainspring of their action. And so that which is the essence of all religion was absent even from the acts in which the purest and highest form of religion naturally show itself. Pastor Ronnie mentioned last week that the, uh, in the parable of the Good Samaritan that it was a hot-button topic. You guys remember? He came up here and called out liberals and conservatives and transgenders. He, was, he laid it all out there for everybody. And you notice what he didn't say about the Good Samaritan? You had to like, agree, promote, or condone any of what was said within the context of it. What you had to do was love. That's what you was required to do. And everybody was all like squirming. I saw you. I was in the back watching everybody go, man. And Jesus' intention was to make you uncomfortable. But guess what? This sermon was before that parable. And Jesus went right at the top dogs of religion at the time. And then not only did he go right at the top dogs, he went right at their big three. Right at the big dogs and right at their big three. Alms, prayer, and fasting. I'll read it again for you. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Now remember, Jesus is speaking to the crowds. 
and to his disciples. And so he's not necessarily speaking directly to the Pharisees, although they may have been in earshot, but they were not the focus. They were not the focus. The people was the focus. And he said, hey, guys, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. Because then you will have no reward from your father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Jesus was getting to the attitudes of the heart and their character of what religion had become. This is what religion had become. Did you notice that Jesus did not condemn almsgiving or benevolence? He didn't say, hey, guys, I want you to pray about it before you do. Because sometimes people are are poor or homeless because they want to be or because they've made some bad choices. Or you should probably not give him that because they're going to spend it on things that are um, not profitable. We'll just say that. He didn't say any of that. He, he He didn't even say any of that. He didn't condone it or condemn it. He said instead he warned them about their motives. He said, check your heart. He said he warned them about their motives. Proverbs 4.23 says, keep your heart with all vigilance for from it flows the spring of life. Check your heart. I recently went to a homeschool conference in Gatlinburg. Do y'all know they have those? It's a real thing. It was a big deal, too. Those people from all over. And the day before, they didn't have child care. And me and the other dad that was with me, we were at the playground. We found a little playground in Gatlinburg. And there was a lot of dads with kids. And I was just like, homeschool conferences? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Homeschool conferences? Yeah, 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 right. Because you don't just see dads at parks at, you know, 1130 a.m. on a weekday, right? There's not that many stay-at-home dads. Don't play. So... So we're at this homeschool conference, and the last day, me and the other dad decided we're going to do dad duty to let the kid, you know, let the ladies enjoy it. You know, I had a lot more dad duty than he did. He only had two kids. I had a lot of kids, a gaggle, gang, okay? I got a quiver full, as the word likes to say. I got a lot of arrows. So get ready, because I'm coming out like Hunger Games into the world. I'm... <laughs> I'm serious. I am raising some. I am raising some warriors. We're speaking to identity every single day, okay? So the ladies go, and my uh, middle daughter is so excited because she got this game for the kids. And the way she came back and presented the game to the kids was, "Hey guys, this is Christian Pokemon." I was like, "Please don't do that. Please don't do that. Please don't do that." Right? Like. <laughs> If you guys don't know what Pokemon is, Pokemon is like a, it's a cartoon, but it's also a card game, and they play it, and you collect points, and you rival against people, and the Pokemon change and transform, but as all Christians do, we got a Christian version of Pokemon. But I was like, please don't brand it as that. They're already homeschooled, some of them. Like, we don't, we don't, now homeschool kids are great. I'm just saying, like, we don't want to give the world any more ammo than they need, right, for me to have to undo when my, when my kid has somebody from the neighborhood over, he's like, you want to play Christian Pokemon? I was like, let's not, 
So I was like, let's just call it by its name, okay? So, so the kids are excited, right? And Noah wants to show me how to play this game. And so we get, we're playing Animo. That's the name of the game, right? We're playing Animo. And we get toward the end, and he says, hey, Dad, check your heart. And I was like, what is that supposed to mean? <laughs> check your heart. I remember, I remember several years ago when I was really first getting into God's Word back in like 2010, 2011, and I had found a passage in, uh, in Galatians that says, um, Satan wants to bewitch you into believing. No, he says, who has bewitched you into believing, da, 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 da. And I was sharing with the guy, I said, hey, man, Satan wants to bewitch you. He said, what do you mean Satan wants to be with me? I said, no, he wants to bewitch you. And he said, that's what I'm saying. What does he want to be with me for? I said, he wants to bewitch you. And he was like, like the show? I said, yes. He's like, oh, I get it. So then I had to explain. That same feeling happened, you know, a, a decade later as I'm sitting at the table with a nine-year-old. No context. He just looks up and says, hey, Dad, check your heart. So I'm like, what does that mean, check your heart? That's how you would call somebody to the carpet to see who has the most points to win the game. And in the game, there were cards called sinnies. And the sinnies were, uh, would deduct points from your life. And I'm like, okay, God. Okay, if you've got sin in your heart, it will deduct points from your life. But then there were cards that were like power-ups. Like you could, you could make some of the... Um, some of the Christian Pokemon stronger with prayer points, right? And I was like, okay, God, I see what you're saying, right? With sin in my heart, it's going to devalue my life. But with prayer and all of these, these positive bonuses, right, that I could power up my life, I see what you're trying to do here. But the whole point was they're teaching kids to check your heart and guard your heart because from it flows the issues of life and sin in your heart will taint you. It will corrupt everything in your life because your motives will be impure. Therefore, your actions will be incomplete. I lost, by the way, if you're wondering. <laughs> I had sin in my heart and uh, in my defense, I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know how to play. He just told me how to play. And now we got expansion packs. We got ultras. I mean, it's teaching my kids a word through Christian Pokemon. Okay, so now Jesus has our attention. Now he has our attention when Jesus says, hey, guys, you need to beware of this. Right, the whole, the whole point of the sermon shifts. He's laying out different things. He's laying out characteristics and how things function, how they flow. And then he starts speaking to us directly and speaking to our heart. He says, hey, here's what I want you to watch out for, though, guys. This is where you get into the weeds. So now he has our attention, and I'm thinking through this. I'm like, God, what are some of these, what are some of the reasons why we get this wrong. What are, what are some of the reasons why the people would have got it wrong? And so God showed me a couple of things. Uh, the first reason is this. Sometimes we give our help for recognition. This is the most obvious one. This is, this is pride. We give because of a sense of pride. Hey, look at me. Listen, listen to how Jesus describes the Pharisees in three separate ways. He lays it out pretty clearly. They do da 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 in order to be seen by them. So people will see what I'm doing. He says, sounding a trumpet. Hey, look at me. Hey, look at me. I did this. 
that they may be praised by others, so they may be seen by others, so that you can hear what they've done, and so that they can hear your praises. This is all language that reveals the motive. They wanted people to see them, and they got it. And that's a pretty garbage reward, if you ask me. Right? You do all this stuff, and the reward you got was, well, you got that. That was your reward. And let me tell you something. Anytime you get a reward like that, it actually makes you more thirsty. It does not quench your thirst because it's incomplete. It will never fulfill you. Praise from other people will never fill you up. That's why some of us get in unhealthy relationships because we're looking for that affirmation that fills us up. It's pretty garbage if you ask me. How many, how many, let me ask you a question. How many of you guys remember arrogance in another person in a positive way? Realistically. How many times have you saw somebody running down the basketball court like that and be like, man, I just want to, that was so awesome. Or have you, have you, how many times heard uh, Pastor Allen bragging about something and be like, man, you know what, that really just touches my heart. You don't remember arrogance in a good way in other people, do you? Do you? Or maybe you do. I don't know. Maybe I have hit a nerve this morning with that one. So the second reason. Sometimes we give or help out of compulsion or obligation. This, this second motive is a little bit more subtle. Okay, It's not as a front as, hey, look at me. Look what I've done. See my giving. See this. This one's a little bit more subtle, and this really speaks to our hearts. On some level, there's a part of us that is trying to make up somehow for the sinful and shameful parts of our lives, and we want to prove and show that we're capable of doing good things too. This is really where the world likes to shine. It's a mainstay of culture and people who have done some bad things, but they volunteer at the food bank and give to charity in order to balance it out. And so you'll ask them, hey, man, where are you going to go when you're down? Like, well, they start evaluating the positive and negative impact they've had on society. And in case you're wondering if they've had a positive or negative impact, they will post it on their Instagram to show that they're also humanitarians. I'm not saying if you've posted anything on Instagram that you're not. I'm just saying this is a motive and a reason for people. Acts of humanity and morality are more often self-centered and self-justifying than they are God-centered and God-focused. It's also a form of pride and insecurity that stem from our flesh needing recognition and validation. This also Praise from people will not fill you up. And when you have a deep need to be affirmed from anything other than God, it will never fill you. Ever. Ever. We all like attaboys. If you don't know what that is, that's a pat on the back in below the Mason-Dixon line, okay? <laughs> they, do they say that anywhere else? I, I know that's an actual question. Is it... It's hit a, I don't want to be up here and be like, well, he doesn't know what he's talking about because we actually say that and I'm from Jersey. Like, I, don't wanna, I don't want you to discredit the word because I got something dumb wrong, okay? <laughs> Just meet me after the message. But... <laughs> I'm from Southern California. My mother grew up saying that. Where's your mama from? Where's your grandmama from, right? It'll all trace back to the South. Don't play, okay? 
We export our phrases. Export. Dad gummit, right? Yeah. We do. This, this, this obligation, this obligation, the problem with this, the problem with obligation is that we end up trying to work for our salvation instead of working out our salvation. That's the problem with this one. It's that it ends up that we're doing things to try to, to try to earn credits with God or try to earn credit with other people. And that's not how the kingdom works. It's not. Lastly, the last motive is sometimes we give because we hear God's voice and this is an outpouring of love. When we give out of a pure heart and pure motives, there is a sense of connection to the kingdom and a connection to one another. Albert Barnes, theologian, clergyman, abolitionist, author, late 1700s, describes it this way. Our Savior here does not positively command his disciples to aid the poor, but supposes that they will do it, of course, and gives them direction how to. It is the nature of religion to help those in need, and a real Christian does not wait to be commanded to do it, but only asks for the opportunity. Only asks for the opportunity. We shouldn't have to be told to be benevolent. We shouldn't have to be told to give. But in that giving, looking for opportunities. But what is the motive that we give? There's a sense of connection when we're benevolent, right? There's a sense of connection to the kingdom, but there's also the propensity for the giving to be tainted, and it allows for a false sense of connection to our fellow man and to the Lord. When is the last time you've ever been unplugged and disconnected? Okay, let me ask you this way. When's the last time you left your phone at home and went to the store somewhere? Right? I'm unplugged right now. Don't know where my phone's at. Somewhere. I, um, I was talking to my wife on the phone the other day, and uh, I dropped my phone. And if you have a phone that doesn't fold open, right, um, then you know when you see that and the camera is facing up, there's a half a second heart attack that you have. Whether or not when you turn that phone over, is it going to be shattered or not? Am I lying? No, I'm right. Look, you're going to drop your phone today and go, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God. <laughs> then you're going to pick it up and be like, woo, okay, here we go, right? And it doesn't, you don't even think about it. It just happens in your life, right? So I did that. I dropped my phone, and I had the anxiety, panic attack. I turned it over, and sure enough, the screen was cracked. And I was like, oh, it's just a screen protector. Peeled that guy off. A lot of good he did because the screen was broke underneath it. So I called the Apple store. I called Apple and I was like, hey, let me ask a silly question. If I go get this fixed at just the you break it, I fix it shop, is this going to mess anything up? And he was like, yep, void the warranty. Don't even call us about anything if that happens. And I'm like, cool, whatever. I get it. I understand boundaries and parameters and, you know, intellectual property and all that. So I was like, okay, that's fine. I'll take it to the Apple store. Closest store to me is in Green Hills, okay? Uh, if you don't know where Green Hills is, uh, call your buddies. They got a little bit more change than you. Get them to take you down to the Green Hills, okay? 
You think I'm playing? Home of the Tennessee Titans. You got to have a football contract to go there. And if you shop at Green Hills, this ain't a shot at you. God bless David. Solomon was balling out of control. This ain't about money or wealth or its evil intentions. Just if you shop at Green Hills, good for you, right? I mean that with all my heart because I've been there. So... So on the way down with my broke phone, I call a couple of my buddies that I know got a little bit more change and have been at Green Hills. I said, what do I do while I'm there? Oh, you need to go do this. You need to go do that, right? So I said, okay. So I get into the Apple store, and the guy was like, yep, it's going to be an easy fix. We can do it 45 minutes. It's going to be $413. And I said, how many flip phones with a leather case can you bring out back there right now? I was going to have the flip phone. $413. And so I was like, well, okay, God. Well, it's a hard lesson to learn. Sometimes you got to learn the hard lessons, right? When you, when you get off the path and we pray, God, get me out of this, sometimes he says, you walk through those thorns, I'll walk with you, but you got to walk back through them. He don't just pick you up and put you back on the path. Sometimes when you wander off, I should have been more responsible. And that lesson cost me $413, right? So I surrender my phone, and here's the part where I'm talking about I'm completely alone in Green Hills Mall, disconnected, walking around, don't know what I'm doing, can't afford nothing. So I go and I'm, in, I'm smelling candles, and I'm, I'm doing all that. I went and got a sand. I almost went into the Cheesecake Factory. I was like, nope, I ain't going back in there. No, no, devil is a lie. So I walk back out, and uh, I went to a two-story department store, lower level, upper level, same store, right? You just go in both, right? I'm trying on clothes. I got no intention of buying because I can't. I ended up buying this shirt, though. It was $23, and I was like, you know what? I got $23. I could do it. It's soft. I like it. I felt good walking around with that little brown bag. You don't know what's in here. You don't know what's in here. <laughs> Could have been that 230 because they know if they see that bag, if they see the name on that bag, they know, oh, I know where he's been at. I know what he's about, right? I wanted people to see me with that bag, right? Are you hearing me? I wanted people to see me with that bag to know I wasn't flat broke. So I'm walking around with this bag with a $23 t-shirt in it, and I cannot tell you how many times I was like, yeah, oh, Oh, hang on, let me, I need to take a picture of this. Oh, I need to text my wife. Oh, I need to call my buddies. Oh, I need to do this, right? So many times I was like, where's my phone? Ah, I'm bankrupt. My phone's in there, right? So when I finally go back and get my phone and hand him my debit card like this, you know, shaking, and uh, get the phone back, I go get something to eat because I was starving, and I sit down, and the first thing I started to do was text everybody and tell them about all my adventures and tell them about everything, right? I wanted them to be connected to what was going on in my life, right? I wanted to share my experiences with them. So, So when Jesus gives us this warning, he's saying, I know there's a connection you want to have with people. You want to share the good things that you're doing. You want to share the God moments. Man, I was in the right place at the right time, and I never carried cash, but for some reason I had $100, and this guy needed exactly $100, because don't they always need exactly $100? You know what I'm saying? I can't tell you how many times somebody's come on this stage and be like, man, we was praying for $261 to come out of nowhere. And somebody just wrote up, God, God told me to give you $261. All they told you was that God told them to give you $261. I can't tell you how many times I don't know who gave the $261. But there's a connection there to the kingdom. But Jesus also knows the propensity is there for the pride to rise up inside of us. 
The more times I tell this story about being in the right place at the right time and God positioning me, the more times I tell it, the more it becomes I was in the right spot and I just so happened to have enough money and I was able to bless this person. Jesus knows that and so he gives us this warning. You don't have to always share everything with everybody. Parents, you ain't always got to film everything your kid does. Sometimes that moment is for you. It's for you. There's actually uh, research that shows that parents who always film their kids are less likely to remember important moments in their kids' lives than being in the moment. And sometimes it's okay to film little Susie. She did her twirl, and it was not even a good twirl, but Susie did it. You know, and that's my Susie. Sometimes that's okay. You know, if you're, if you're watching film with your kid and say, hey, your footwork was off here. But sometimes it's just for you. And Jesus is telling us, hey, guys, look, there are times where you're going to do things and you're going to do it with the wrong motives. And you need to be aware that your motives are what matter. You need to be aware that your motives are what matter. Sometimes the act is just, most of the time, the act is just between you and the person. What if we went to the Titans game after church? Everybody showed up late to the Titans game because we didn't skip church when the football season comes, okay? You, you fought, you're picking it up? Okay, there's like nine of you. Oh, you didn't come. Okay, I got it, right. So look. What if we showed up late to the Titans game and we get there and all of the banners around the stadium said anonymous donor, anonymous donor, anonymous donor. Their jerseys had anonymous on the tag. What if you went to the basketball game and said anonymous down there on the floor? Would that be weird or would that be awesome? Probably a little bit of both, right? There isn't a desire to share our experiences with those who would celebrate it and enjoy it and not just say he's bragging. Sometimes you'll share what God's doing or what God, how God was able to use you, and you get a little bit of pushback from it. It is the motive and not the fact of publicity that vitiates the action. The high ideal of the disciple of Christ is to let his light shine before men and yet be indifferent to their praises or even their opinions. To do good deeds, to do acts of righteousness, to give benevolently without the motive being a need to be seen by others or an act of compulsion. In secret may not mean total secrecy. It may not mean total secrecy because Jesus told us to let your light shine before others. People need to see how it's supposed to be done. People need to see how it's supposed to be done. But I'll say this, though. You'd think we would have no trouble keeping giving, prayer, and fasting a secret if need be with as much practice as we have hiding our sin, struggles, and shortcomings from each other. Shouldn't be a problem. We don't have no problem hiding the negative areas of our life. So it shouldn't be a problem to not be braggy about giving. I said that, and I'm not retired like Pastor Ronnie. <laughs> God loves us enough to warn us about subtle sin. Worship team, you come out. 
God loves us enough to warn us about subtle sin, right? The thing about, if there are some times where you can see the enemy coming a mile away, but most of the time, sin is subtle, and it creeps in, and before you know it, you've got a bad attitude. Before you know it, you've done spoke harshly to someone. Before you know it, you know, went off the deep end and, and drove somewhere you weren't supposed to, spent something you didn't have, said something you shouldn't. It's subtle. It's not an, it's not an outright obvious attack. The Philistines that we're fighting aren't coming over the bushes over here in Smyrna behind the school bus out there. If it would, it'd be an easy to see. It'd be easy to see the Philistines marching against us. But it's more subtle than that. But God loves us enough to warn us about it. He says, hey, beware. Be aware. I'm not saying you're doing this, but here's what you guys need to know. Look, the Pharisees are bent on giving, praying, and fasting. And that's the big three they care about. They practice full-time righteousness. And I'm not saying you're not supposed to give. He's not saying you're not supposed to pray. He's not saying you're not supposed to fast. In fact, he's promoting prayer and giving and fasting. But what Jesus is saying is beware of the motive. Check your heart. Because giving out of an impure motive is not really giving. And you have got the reward that you were going to get in the first place. Sometimes we give or help for recognition. Sometimes we get out of compulsion or obligation. And sometimes we give because we hear God's voice. And this is an outpouring of love. But I want you guys to remember this. God is not obligated to reward any action in which he is not the end. God is not obligated to reward any action in which he is not the end. So I want you to check your heart. Ask God, what is my motive? And then we're going to worship and pray. If the elders, leaders, teachers, pastors will come down here. If you need prayer for anything, the world tells you. If you need healing mentally, emotionally, spiritually, let him call for the elders of the church to come down and they will anoint him with oil and they'll pray over them. Prayer of the righteous avails much. If you need prayer for anything, come down here. If you've had some impure motives, then come down, repent and pray. If you want to worship God, then worship with us. And as we enter this time, I want you to check your heart before God. See if there's any way that is unrighteous and let him deal with you. Let's pray.